You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Oh, it's so good to be with you today, church. I'm excited. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for what God's doing here. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to see what, what the Lord would do today, uh, specifically. Um, as Riz said, I, I am the, the pastor for preaching and vision at Reality Carpinteria. Um, my time, my involvement with the family did not begin in Carpinteria, though. That church was planted out of a college ministry at a church in Santa Barbara. Pastor Britt Merrick planted the church in Carpinteria, but before he did, he was the college pastor at a church in Santa Barbara, and that college ministry is where I met Jesus. Um, I grew up in a small town north of Santa Barbara. Actually, I grew up in the same small town that Zoe Hilner grew up in, Lompoc, California, represent Zoe. Um, and, uh, and so I met Jesus at this college ministry. About a year later, uh, Britt planted the church in Carpinteria. And then a few years after that, I started to go to school at a Bible college in the uh, Los Angeles County area, Biola. And I got connected with, I see some Biola representation here. People are shouting out. And then I got plugged into Reality Los Angeles, which was the first uh, church plant out of Reality Carpinteria. And then I served as a pastor at, uh, I was on staff at Reality LA for about 12 years uh, until Britt Merrick retired from Reality Carpinteria. And then uh, I came in, I moved my family to Carpinteria and, uh, and took over as the pastor for preaching and vision there. So we've been in Carpinteria for about a year and a half. Uh, my wife, Katie, and I, we've got three boys, Asher's who, who, Asher, who is 12, Judah is 10, and Cannon is 8. And then uh, we we also have a, a French bulldog uh, named Zeke, who's about a year and a half, and I know many of you know the Jackson's French bulldog running around, running around here. They are uh, brothers from across the, uh, across the Pacific. Um, and so I'm excited to be with you guys today and to, and to share with Reality Honolulu some, some things that have been deeply personal in my life as my family has transitioned from Los Angeles, which has been home for so long, to Carpinteria and making it our home and, and seeing what God has been doing there. And so I, I'm really excited to get into our time together today. So if you have a Bible, you go ahead and open that up and meet me in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke today. Luke chapter 2. And so I'm going to read the text and we'll pray and we'll jump in and see what the Lord has to say to us. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days... 
They found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to you today longing Lord, to be in intimacy with you, Lord, to be in relationship to you, to know your presence, to know the peace and blessing that comes when we are in our Father's house. And so, Lord, I pray that you would stir up in us by your Holy Spirit, that you would teach us today that though uh, just as Jesus belonged in his Father's house, so do we in Christ belong in our Father's house. God, I pray that we would experience that presence and that blessing, that peace, that kind of belonging here in this place today. We ask that you would teach us by your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, many people have undertaken to explain or or conceptualize what it means to be home. One of the most famous sayings from Pliny the Elder that we know today who is an ancient Roman uh, government official is that home is where the heart is. I prefer what novelist Kurt Vonnegut says about home. In an interview, he reflected on the concept of home and he says this, where is home? I've wondered where home is and I realized It's Indianapolis. When I was nine years old, I had a brother and a sister, a cat and a dog, and a mother and a father and uncles and aunts, and there is no way I can get there again. This idea of home that Vonnegut is describing is not a place. It's not even particular people in a particular place. It's the people and place in a time when your identity was most formally shaped for better or for worse. And so according to Vonnegut, home is a place to which he can never return. He can't get there again. It's gone. So I grew up in a small town on the central coast of California, and so similar to Vonnegut, home for me is Lompoc. It's falling asleep on a Friday afternoon, uh, listening to music. I can, I can smell uh, that my mom is making dinner. I can hear, I can still hear my dad's, the diesel engine in his work truck coming around the corner to park in front of the house. My homework is done. The weekend is coming. There is no place in my life, no time in my life life, no season in my life where there is greater peace, greater belonging, a greater feeling of home than those Friday afternoons with the sun coming in through my window gently. Just peace. I can return to Lompoc. 
I can go back to my parents' house. I can, I can go back to my bedroom. I can never go back home. Home isn't there anymore. Where is home for you? Where is home? Or rather, when was home? Who is home? Where did home go? Maybe your concept of home was not shaped by your family. Maybe family was not a safe place for you to be. And so your home was shaped for you by some other experience, some other group, some other uh, environment where you felt most at peace, where you felt like you truly belonged. So either way, whether home was pleasant or unpleasant, home creates in us a longing It creates in us a longing that is impossible to satisfy. Some people spend their whole lives trying to run from home, and they can't because it's in them, either in pain or nostalgia. Or some people try to return home, but they can't because it no longer exists. Our text today has something beautiful to say about home because it invites us to consider where you truly belong. We're going to get into the specifics of this passage in a moment, but first I want to provide a little bit of context to what, about the, from the biblical storyline, about what the Bible says about home and exile. The Bible is, in one way, a story about a people longing for a home. In fact, we are all longing for home. We're all longing for that place in life where we belong and everything is as it should be. And the Bible teaches that humanity as a whole has never truly been home since the Garden of Eden. See, the garden at creation was our home, and it was also God's home. Eden was the place where humans lived and where God lived. It was the place where heaven and earth collided. Earth is the dwelling place of humans, and heaven is the dwelling place of God. But at creation, it was the same place at the same time. That was our home. That people had unbroken intimacy with God and with one another. They were safe. They belonged. But then Satan deceived the humans, and he made them believe that God was holding out on them, and so they rebel against God. And the humans were sent into exile, away from God's presence, out of Eden, away from the tree of life, away from their home, to wait for the day when God would one day bring them back. He would send a Savior to undo what the sin had done, to separate them from God and essentially bring them back home. And so these themes of home and exile, they run throughout the scriptures. Remember when the children of Israel were were delivered from their slavery in Egypt and their wandering in the wilderness, and God met with them in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place, the tent of meeting. It was the place where they could go and meet with God, where heaven and earth once again would come together, where God and humans lived together in the tabernacle. And then when they moved into the promised land, God instructed them to build the temple. And the temple was the place where God's name dwelled, where his presence dwelled in a special place 
way among his people. And so he gave them a way to come back to the garden. That's why there's all kinds of garden imagery, the pomegranates and the, and the fruits and the, the vines in the, the taber- tabernacle and the temple. It was this picture of returning to Eden, returning to the place where they belonged, returning to home. They could be at home again in the presence of God. But again, and we know the story, whether in the wilderness or in Israel, they rebelled against God. They continued to sin against God. And so they were sent again into exile away from God's presence in the temple. And again, they waited for the day when God would bring them back home. And he would. God was faithful. He did bring them back home. But it wasn't the same. There's this heartbreaking scene in Scripture when the the Israelites, after they're sent into exile, they, they return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the city, and they rebuild this temple, and there's this great celebration. But the older generation is weeping because they remember the, the splendor of the temple that once was and this temple that they just rebuilt, it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. It wasn't as grand as Solomon's temple. There was so much to celebrate. They were back in the land, but they weren't back home. A longing remained with God's people. They were not yet back home. And so we have a word to describe those who are far from home and don't know how to get back. It's called being lost. When we, when we don't know where home is, we're lost. So the Bible teaches that apart from the presence of God, humans are lost. We're lost. But our text today tells a beautiful story. It's an interesting story. See, when Jesus was 12 years old, he went with his family from Nazareth to Jerusalem and for the Passover. And during the Passover feast, at some point, Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus, finds himself in the temple and his parents take off without him. They think that he's, he's with the family, he's with their crew, but he's not. And so they go a day's journey back toward Nazareth. And then they realize that he's gone. And I kind of picture this scene, right? That Mary's like in this wagon. It's being pulled by a donkey. And it's kind of like that scene on the airplane in Home Alone. Like all of a sudden she's like, Jesus! You know what I'm talking about? Like, Kevin! She has to go back. They have to go find him. Says he's gone for three days. They didn't know where Jesus was for three days. Now, three weeks or so after bringing uh, our, our French bulldog, Zeke, home, we thought that he had gotten out of our gate. And he was gone for about, he actually wasn't gone. He was just blending in with this dead spot of grass in our front yard. But we thought he was gone. So I'm running down the street, Zeke, where are you? He was gone for like three minutes. And I was terrified. And he's a dog. Can you imagine losing the savior of the world for three days? Like angel Gabriel comes to Mary and he's like, Mary, you had one job. Girl, you had one job. Just don't lose the son of God. 
He's gone for three days. And when they finally find him and he's in, he's in the temple, and he's like, he's asking questions and he's teaching and the priests and the leaders in the temple, they're like mesmerized by him and they find him and he's like, he's confused. Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Didn't you know that of all the places where I belong, of all the places that I could be in all of the world, the place that I belong most, the place that makes most sense for me to be would be in my father's house. Didn't you know that this is where I would be? And so what I want us to realize is that apart from the presence of God, humanity is lost. And Jesus is the only person since the garden who has never been. He's never been lost. Jesus is never lost. See, Jesus is, is fully God and, and fully human. And as Eden was the dwelling place of humans and, and God, and as the temple became this collision of heaven and earth, and, and, and in the temple was where we could return to God's presence, well, Jesus is the Garden of Eden. He is the tabernacle. He is the temple. Not because he's literally those things, but because he is, in the most perfect sense, everything that those places represent, God and humanity in perfect harmony, in perfect intimacy. This is who Christ is. Even as a child, Jesus recognized this unique relationship that he has with God. He was God's son, and as such, he belonged in the temple. He belonged in his father's house. And this is good news because Mary and Joseph believed that they had misplaced Jesus, but Jesus can't be misplaced. I'm always losing things. Um, I once... uh, either me or my children, but things are always getting misplaced in the house. If you have kids, you get this. Um, I once found the remote control for the TV in the car. My kids have no idea how it got there. My middle son, Judah, carries the remote control with him everywhere, because if he leaves it, his brothers are going to pick it up and change the channel. And so we'll just find it in all sorts of places. It'll be like in the backyard. It'll be all over the place. Uh, My wife, it's not all their fault for losing things. My wife makes fun of me um, because I just, I can't find things. I'm not good at finding things. We once lost, uh, I was looking for the dog's leash. My wife was out. I was looking for the dog's leash. I text my wife. I said, do you know where Zeke's leash is? And she literally responded, take a picture of the living room and I'll point it out to you. Just assumed that like it's in plain sight and I'm, and I'm blind and I can't, I can't find it. I'm always misplacing things. But you see, Jesus is God with us, and we can't misplace him. You, you can't misplace Jesus. There'll be seasons in your life where he may feel distant, right? There'll be seasons when we can be, begin to feel like we've done something wrong, and so he's mad at us, and he's keeping distance from us. But Jesus is never lost. He knows exactly where he is. He knows exactly where you are. Sometimes we mistakenly place our faith in the wrong things. 
Maybe in seasons when money is tight and, and you're tempted to trust in, in finances and you're looking to finances, your experience of Jesus might, might be uh, a little distant. But he's actually never far from you in those seasons. And when we're aware of our misplaced faith, you ever have those seasons in life where you felt so close to God and then maybe like, maybe you fall, fell into an old habitual sin or maybe um, life got busy and so your, your, your time in the word or your time in prayer, or you were becoming a little bit distant from the body of Christ in the church and, and you, you wake up one morning suddenly and, and you're just thinking, Man, I felt so much closer to God why is, uh, like a couple months ago or whatever, why, why is he distant? Why am I not feeling this? Sometimes after our faith has been misplaced, we feel as though Jesus is distant. Like we've, we've accidentally misplaced Jesus, and so we have to like look for him. Or we have to like start over and, and, and search for him again. But he's never far from us. And see, I think the, the, the thinking is wrong. We don't search for Jesus. Jesus searches for us. Jesus has, has sought us. Jesus has found us. And so in Christ, you are never lost. We're longing for home. We're longing for the place that we belong. Apart from the presence of God, we, we are lost. But in Christ, you are never lost. The home that we're longing for, the safety, the comfort, knowing that all is as it should be, that this moment can't be different, can't be better. This is where I belong. That home that we're longing for, it can only be found in Jesus. It can only be found in Christ. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Again, like the garden, like the temple, humanity is home in Christ. And you're not the one who needs to search for him. He has searched for you, and in Christ you have been found. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. He rejoices over you when he finds you. And then you're not, you're not car keys. You're not a remote control. He doesn't misplace you. You are, if you're here today and you've put your faith in Jesus, you are perpetually found, constantly found. He knows where you are. And this means that in Christ, you're never alone. That Jesus is with you. The very presence of God dwells within you and nothing can separate you from him. Not even your sin can separate you from him because before you ever believed, he died for your sin. Past, present, and future. The penalty of your sin, which is exile, which is separation from God, which is spiritual death, has been paid for. And so you are welcomed into his presence before you were ever found in his presence. The penalty the cost that needed to be paid so that you could be found by Jesus was paid. And so even now, your sin, if you are a believer, doesn't separate you from God. His kindness, his love draws you to repentance and draws you back into his presence. But you never left him. You are perpetually found, never to be lost again. He is with you. You're not alone. 
And your church family is for you. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, Reality Honolulu is for you. They're with you in life when you're struggling. They're with you when you're sad. They weep with you when you are rejoicing. They rejoice with you. When you disagree about things, even important things, nothing separates you because Christ is in you. You are in Christ. The person sitting next to you, the person sitting across the room from you is in Christ and you have a deep intimacy with one another. Whether you experience it yet or not, you're never alone. Your family is with you and for you. When you're in need, your family is there to provide for you. I just want to point out, I have no idea you guys do a food distribution. 860-something people served yesterday just in the community. This church, these people served that many people. When you are in need, what do you think they'll do for you? The responsibility that you have to one another, to provide for one another, to love one another, to welcome one another, to invite one another into your lives, to to invite people to make this their home, this family their home, to belong here, to be at peace together so that nothing could ever be more perfect, nothing could ever create more belonging than being right here with one another. You guys, the church is a miraculous, beautiful place once we finally start acting like it. We actually act like family. It's beautiful. Your family is for you. You are sons and daughters of God. And so because of that, Because of what Jesus has done to end your exile from the presence of God and invite you into God's family, then you, like Jesus, belong in your Father's house. You belong in your Father's house. Jesus knew that he had a special relationship with the Lord, even at a young age, at 12 years old. I have a 12-year-old boy. I think about him or his friends like teaching in the temple and just didn't you know I had to belong in my father's house. I'm like, gosh, man, what was this Jesus like? What was boy Jesus like? Just like so wise and so, so like significant. He knew that. Well, guess what? Did you realize that that's how God thinks of you? Son of God, daughter of God? So beautiful, so important, so significant in the eyes of God because of what Jesus has done. That of all the places in all of the world, where do I belong? Where do I, is, as, as Jesus could say, didn't you know? Christian, didn't you know? You belong in your father's house. You've been united to Christ and grafted into that special relationship. You've been given access to God. You are a child of your Father in heaven and you belong in his house. No matter how the world changes, no matter how far from home you feel, you are at home in Christ and in the gathering of his people. Maybe you've experienced loss in recent years. We've all experienced change. Change is loss. Change is hard. Maybe you moved away from home. Or COVID has like changed everything in your world. Nothing is the same anymore. And that change and uncertainty can bring fear. 
And there's nothing that, that communicates a distance from home like fear and anxiety. Fear and anxiety will rock any relationship, any environment that feels at all at peace. Fear and anxiety just instantly makes you feel, again, exiled, just away from home, away from that place where you belong. We need to know that we belong in our Father's house. We can always return to our Father's house, to the company of our brothers and sisters, to our family. We don't need to find a home. We don't need to recreate a home. Jesus is the one that prepares a place for you. He goes to prepare a place for you. Little... um, confession time. I, uh, I struggle with discontentment all the time. I struggle with discontentment, with discouragement all the time. I put a lot of pressure on myself, put a lot of pressure on my family, my kids, the people around me to be perfect. I have been accused of being a perfectionist, and it has ruined my joy. Not the accusations, but just being so focused on every little thing that could be different, that could make this environment, make this situation better. Nothing is ever good enough. In my book, I'm never good enough. My relationships are never good enough. My church is never good enough. My ministry is never good enough. What I have is never good enough. Nothing is ever good enough. I don't know why I'm that way, but I'm that way. It's it's what I live in on a daily basis, constantly aware of how we can make this better, how we can improve this. And, And I've been able to channel that in ministry, be able to step into environments. How do we make this better? How do we make this more fruitful? How do we love people better? How do we do this? Let's do this. We can do this. I'm constantly making little changes and tweaks. But it creates anxiety in me. One day we were on vacation, um, uh, probably about a year ago, and Katie and I were talking about this, and, and I was just like, there's always something, like, I'm always just tormented by the fact that, like, nothing's perfect needs to be perfect. And we're on vacation. We're sitting by the pool. The kids are playing nicely. And Katie just goes, how about now? What can be different about now? And I didn't even hesitate. I'd already been thinking about it. It's like, it could be warmer. Just constantly, there's always something that can be different. And I've had to do some soul searching recently. I've had to like, go before the Lord and ask God, like, why is this? Why, why am I wrestling with this discontentment? And it's this idea of home. See, when I come home from the office, I, I want to go back to my bed in Lompoc on a Friday afternoon and listen to music and have somebody else make dinner for me. And like, my dad comes home. My dad keeps everything safe. I don't want that on me. I'm trying to get back to Lompoc circa 1996. It doesn't exist anymore. And so I'm constantly trying to get somewhere where I can't go. And so I come home to my home, to my kids, and to my family. And it's because it's not that, I'm discontent. I'm discontent with them. And I communicate to them that they're not okay, that they're not good enough. And it's not okay. 
It's not fair for them. But I've realized something. I've realized something because of this home that we have in Christ. I can leave my home. I can leave my home and make a home for my children. I don't have to go to Reality Carpinteria and think of all the ways that it's not like Reality Los Angeles. I've left my home. Because I can go make a home now. God can, God can empower me to, to make a home where other people belong. I can leave where I belong if, if it means that someone else can find their belonging. I can leave my home if, if it means that someone else can make their home here. Many of you have left homes. And you can help to make a home for somebody. And I believe that Jesus is our example in this. See, though Jesus has never lost, he knows what it's like to be far from home. He knows what it's like to leave the peace, the pleasures, and the glory of his heavenly kingdom, to leave his throne, to come to earth. He left the glory of eternity to take on humanity. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus was homeless. The one who can't be lost, the one who can't be far from home, was homeless. Even when he visited Nazareth, his hometown, he was rejected by the community, the community that knew him, the kids he grew up with. He was rejected by the people. Later in his ministry, he would return to that same temple that he belonged in when he was 12. He would return to that same temple to his father's house, but the religious leaders would reject him for claiming that same special relationship that he claimed when he was 12. But now they didn't like it. The ones who sat around and gladly listened to him, they refused to hear him. They accused him of blasphemy, saying, uh, because he said that he and the father were one and they tried to arrest him and he escaped and they would, eventually they'd be successful. They They would capture Jesus, they would arrest him. And then he suffered. And he was crucified outside of the city, outside of Jerusalem, the city of David, where he should have reigned on the throne. He was crucified outside of his home. See, Jesus received his exile in order to bring his family back into the presence of God. And he said, I am going Where I am going, you cannot come, but I'm going that I may prepare a place for you. Where I am going, I will prepare a place for you to make a home for those who believe. And he did it all to restore that intimacy that we lost in the garden, to bring us home into our Father's house, to bring us home into the kingdom and into his glory. It's tempting to to look at our situation, our circumstances, the people around us, and and blame them or blame our circumstances or blame the world or blame politics, blame, blame the government, blame the weather, blame whatever for why we don't feel like we are at home. And it's going to be tempting to fix all the things in our lives or all of the things around us, to to make things better so that our lives don't feel so broken and, and problematic. And I just want you to know that right now where you sit, 
absolutely nothing needs to change in order for you to belong in your Father's house apart from faith. If you believe that because of what Jesus has done for you, you are invited into the presence of God and invited into his family, then by that faith and that faith alone, regardless of anything else changing in your life, you do belong. You belong with God. You belong with one another. You belong with Jesus. You belong in the gathering of God's people. You belong with those who know what it means to be lost and be found, perpetually found, continually found in the presence and the grace and the home of God. You know what it means to belong in the story of God. That we're participating in this beautiful family heritage and legacy that the story of God and the story of his people. And together we're longing for that conclusion of that story. The day when God will once again dwell with his people in the new heavens and the new earth. And though today we live as though we are still in exile, still away from our home, yet soon we will experience the coming power and the presence of our home in the kingdom of God. And in the meantime, let us gather in our Father's house. We know why the scriptures say, do not neglect the meeting together as some have the habit of doing. Because when we don't meet together, when we're not with our family, we don't get to experience that home in the way that God wants us to experience it. That when the body of Christ gathers together, God is present through the body of Christ, and we belong with him. And then from that place of belonging, we can serve in such a way, you can serve Reality Honolulu in such a way that lets everyone else know outside of these walls that this is the only place on the planet, in the universe, the church, whether here or, or elsewhere, where they belong. They can find the home that they're looking for in the presence of God. Because of Christ, we're home. That's my prayer for Reality Honolulu. And you talk about family a lot. You talk about Ohana a lot. Family and home are inseparable. So be family. Be family in such a way that makes this a home so that when people walk in from outside these walls and they take a seat among you, they know they belong. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you left your home to bring us home. Lord, I pray that even now, the peace, that contentment that comes when all things are as they should be would wash over your people by the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name and they would just know that this place, in this place, they are with you and in them you are well pleased. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.